Hello and welcome to Dragons the Miles, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm joined, as always, by Greg. Hey there. And today we will be reviewing Paris Connection. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, so we um, we just sat down for a game of Scythe, which was a lot of fun. It was just the two of us, which was a pretty different dynamic than the last time I played. I played with was it five? I think no, it was five people. Was it? Yeah, five people. So this was obviously very different than that. It was much less crowded. Mm-hmm. There was only one combat in the whole game, and we more or less stayed in our lanes. Yeah, which worked better for you than it did for me. But you know, it was it was interesting. It was just a different sort of game feel. Yeah, um, but it was a lot of fun. It was definitely a lot less crowded, which was interesting. And then also, it just had a bit of a different dynamic because of the fact that I think even though you create a lot of mechs, you weren't really going for the combat because you could have gone and like right, screwed yeah. me with combat pretty easily. Yeah, that's kind of a mental hang-up. You know, I'm not a combatant-type person. Yeah. so And it was very interesting for me because I'm usually, in these kinds of games not that much of a pacifist because i'm thinking like i've got mechs i should at least, at least use them for some degree right. you know yeah at least at least a little bit but this time i didn't do any of that i actually didn't even build a mech for at all until at least halfway through the game right well because your secret goal required that you had no mech yeah so which is interesting and actually this is one thing that i just thought of with the secret objectives that is a very interesting way to make you try a different strategy yeah, <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. So we were playing with the expansion. Yes. Uh, you were playing the Britons or whatever they're called. I was playing the Albion. Okay, yeah, oh, of course it's Albion. Uh, and I was playing the Togawa. Were the the secret objective cards that we got, were those also from the expansion? No, those are oh. from the base game. Okay, interesting. Because I was thinking maybe that would have been something that they had done mm-hmm. deliberately in order to force sort of a change-up. But if, yeah, if those came in the base game, then that's just really good forethought. Yeah, exactly. It's it's got a very very interesting and well designed kind of system. So yeah, for sure. And I th- I think that the uh, the two new factions they were fun. They were they were. I had a lot uh, a lot of fun playing the Togawa. Both Albion and the Togawa have a really interesting mobility mechanic yeah. um, where they can put tokens on the field. In your case, flags. In my case, traps. And then using special abilities unlocked by building mech you know kind of the standard way that you upgrade mm-hmm. your units you can move to any flag or mech that's already on the field and you yeah. can also the albion can also move to any tile where they have workers yes so lots of like sort of teleportation mechanics mm-hmm. which is offset by the fact that they don't get a speed upgrade mm-hmm. that increases just the baseline speed of their mechs but honestly i mean i prefer this like the the ability to just boom be at the factory from home base was huge yeah well i also let you put your thing on the factory well i mean yeah but once it's on the factory that's the great thing about traps you can't get it off i mean you can activate it and then it's it's useless until i teleport to it Mm -hmm. but i can reactivate it anytime i move true true. so and i mean it's a very very interesting mechanic i think it's good but also it's definitely not the best because you know the other factions when they have the increased mobility and that kind of stuff they can move across the board to places they haven't been. Whereas for us, a lot of times it is limited to where we've been and where we've placed our four tokens. That's true. So there is that where, you know, once they have a, you know, one of the abilities that lets them move double, you know, uh, uh, two, uh, two movements, and then they have the one card from the factory that gives you 
two movement actions, mm-hmm. right? They can move up to four spaces, right? Which can effectively almost give them uh, the same kind of range and also more flexibility versus uh, the Togawa and the Albion factions, which are much more rigid. Right. That's true. I do think, though, that the speed upgrade combines with the factory abilities to only allow you to move three, not four. But I, I mean, I it's, that still, that might be the case, it's still a yeah. huge striking distance. But yeah, it's either way, it's an interesting sort of dynamic. I think we both agree that it would be pretty cool to see how they play. Because obviously we played the two expansion factions mm-hmm. against each other. But it would be interesting to see how they fit into a regular game. Yeah, into a regular um, game with, up to five, or with the expansion, you could play up to seven people. Oh, uh, that would be awful. <laughs> too many, too many cooks. Um, anyway, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's one thing that we've been playing, and then I know you had a very busy weekend. You got like three or four different games in. I did. I got some Zombicide Black Play again. Okay, one where, of your favorites. Yes, it is a lot of fun, and the same this time. We actually did. Complete randomized heroes, where we just shuffled the deck because I think I have like 60 or so different heroes for that game. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, so choosing is usually difficult. <laughs> we just shuffled them, gave out, you know, took out the ones, and they were like, okay, who wants which one? Um, and, you know, we did pretty well. We started off with a little bit of a difficult situation with the our like third spawn being an abomination, uh, which you can't kill until you have three damage. Right. But so you then, just had to kind of kite around it. Yeah, and it was the kind of thing where the abomination was pretty much like cutting off half our group from the other half of our group. But my character had the ability to literally push anyone out of their square. Okay. So that's exactly what I did. I went into the square with abomination. I push, get out of the way, go okay. into like the side corner, and then it moved one. And I'm like, push, stay away, okay. push, stay away. So yeah. So in in fourth edition parlance, you're a controller. Yes. Yes. That 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 character was a controller. But we also managed to get some pretty high-level gear pretty quickly. The Vampiric Crossbow is one of the first things that we found, which does both three damage, and whenever you kill something with it, it heals that person for one. All right. And that's a regular item. It's not even a like special item, and it's better than the like crossbow that they have for the special items. Huh. So... Seems a little OP, but yeah, what do yeah, I know? Exactly. That was my thought, too, but... You know, uh, it was still a lot of fun. Cool. There was that, and then I also got to play a new game called Da Vinci's Challenge. Hmm. Now, this is its very interesting. It's very, I would say, almost chess-like or in its strategy kind of thing. Okay. Because it's a two-player game only. And you have a board that's, like, round, and it like pretty much at the center you have uh, you you can build like these flowers pretty much so you have like long and narrow pieces and then like these triangular pieces that would you know if you had three long and narrow pieces the triangle would fit right in between them hmm. so like you know it would fill like that kind of gem so you're trying to make different shapes okay so everyone places one piece at a time so you take turns placing pieces and and each shape is worth a different amount of points. So a simple triangle where you put three of those uh, long pieces together and to look like a triangle, the board has spaces for you to like place and fill, sure, fill yeah. in and that kind of stuff. That's worth one point. Uh, another piece where you have one long skinny piece and two triangles, uh, se- uh, separating two triangles, that's called a diamond. That's also worth one piece. But then if you have a triangle with the actual the three pieces into a triangle and then you put the little 
piece in the middle of it that's a gem that's worth five points. Okay. But and is this, is it a situation where you go back and forth playing your particular pieces and then whoever finishes the gem or the shape gets the points? You have different colors, so you can only complete your own pieces. Oh, okay. Therefore, like, if I'm about to finish a gem and someone else puts the other colored uh, like piece in the middle, I can then no longer connect it. Or that gets even more important with, with things like circles and um, the flowers, which each, I think that you need seven pieces, either six or seven pieces. Good Lord. Put, uh, so you have to, for the flower, it's a flower made of six or seven pieces, the long pieces that go out. Mm-hmm. So, of course, that's usually pretty easy to notice, but it's worth 25 points if you finish it. Mm. So it's that kind of thing where, you know, if that person just puts one petal that's the other color, you you go ahead and you are blocked. Same right. thing with the circle and that kind of stuff. So very much a game of you know trying to weigh the benefit of placing your own piece and to get your own points versus blocking. Right. Someone. Yeah. So it's more of a defensive play than actually stealing someone's points. Yes. You're n- you're never stealing someone's points. You're just keeping them from getting points versus getting your own points. Gotcha. Well, it sounds interesting. Yeah. It was it was a lot of fun. I quite enjoyed it. Well, cool. Yeah, so that sounds like a lot of fun. game that I actually haven't had a chance to play yet, um, but I'm excited about the possibility of, is called Relic Wars. And you won't find it in any game store because it doesn't exist yet. A friend of a co-worker designed it, and she gave it to my co-worker to playtest. So my co-worker took it to a party, and a bunch of her friends came over, and they playtested it. And of course, myself, being a big board game guy, saw that she had them, uh, the rules and the pieces and things. Uh, and I was like, hey, do you mind if I take a look at that? So now I have uh, this prototype and it's all just made out of cardstock and the rules are just printed up in a Word document. But it sounds really, really interesting. It's a team-based two-flag capture the flag, essentially, where you've got the neutral starting zone and then each team has, rather than having their own flag in their side of the base and you have to capture it and return it, they have their opponent's flag at the end of their half of the board and then team a has to get to the back of team b's base in order to reclaim team a's relic and the way you advance through things and and do all these sorts of things involves uh, combat using magical relics that can be countered by magical shields and all these sorts of things but i'm pretty excited to try it one of the things that seems intriguing is that it is a team-based game you can have anywhere between two and four players per team but each individual character is taking their own actions. So you've got these these weapons and these shields that are shared across characters, and they're not equipped, they're just activated, and then any character can subsequently use them, but individuals are taking their turns. So there's a lot of communication and a lot of strategy um, and a lot of prep time that seems like it would have to go into it. So I know we're, we're going to try to get that to table at some point, so maybe you'll hear us talk about it uh, in the future, and who knows, maybe someday you'll be playing it around the table. There we go. I'm looking forward to trying it out for sure. Yeah. So there you have it. That's a look at what we've been playing. All aboard! Last review of Paris Connection. About to leave the station. So yeah, um, Paris Connection. We have been talking a lot about it the past couple weeks. It's a game that you and I both really enjoy. 
fairly simple, fairly straightforward, but it has a lot of compelling depth to it. So let's talk about the mechanics. Yes, uh, let's start with that. Our mechanics are pretty basic. First off, you have a map in okay. front of you. It's a good place to start. Yeah, good place to start. Map, Paris pretty much right in the center. And um, around it, you have six different colors of train. That is where each of those routes starts. When you're setting up, you also at random from a bag, take a certain number of stock based on how many players there are at, in the game. And you put that behind your shield. No one else can see it. And uh, this is the stock that you have to start off the game. Mm -hmm. Once the game begins, you have two things that you can do on your turn. Either place trains between one and five trains of any one color from the board. Each of the colors has its own board with all the trains on there. You take anywhere between one and five trains, place them on the board, and you're trying to make routes that connect cities to increase the value of that pretty much train company. The other thing that you can do is you can trade your stock. So you can take any stock that you have behind your shield and put one of those back to take two of any other color. Up to one, two. Up to two. One or two. You can only have up to a certain amount of stock behind your screen itself. So there is that consideration. And since it does take you one turn to do that, it is also another thing, you know, someone might snipe something or you might not be able to do a certain connection that you want to do. Right. And then at the end of the game, the stock, the trains that you have behind your screen are scored based on the value of the route that they match. So each blue train that you have stored behind your shield is equal to the number of points that the blue route is connected to. So say blue is connected to eight points worth of cities and I have four blue trains behind my shield at the end of the game, I'm going to score 32 points for blue. And then based on the, the total composite of all the different stocks that you have, you're going to score a total amount of points. So that's basically it. Those are, those are the mechanics. Yeah, um, pretty much. You place the trains from the board or you trade stock from what you have. Yeah, there are two end game conditions. So in order for the game to end, you have to either connect Paris to Marseille, and that is the city with the, worth the most points, right. of course. And then the other part is uh, that if all but one of the train boards is empty of all trains, the game ends immediately. Mm -hmm. That's it. So with that, that is pretty much the rules. They were literally paid front and back, which was quite impressive. Yeah, that was pretty great. They uh, The rule book is actually like six pages long, but it's or because it's like, they have... It's like 12 pages long. Oh, is it? <laughs> it's I really realize... thick. It's a pretty damn thick rule book. You take it out and you're like, oh my God, what am I getting myself into? I didn't realize they had that many. But yeah. um, the reason it's so thick is because it's in like a bunch of different languages. And the English language rules are literally just front and back of a single page. So yeah. that's pretty great. It is. It's pretty awesome. And... So yeah, that's that's how the game is played. Now let's talk about what we think about the feel of the game and how some of the mechanics work together. Right, so obviously the first thing that you'll notice as you play this game is that there's gonna be a rush for one particular color, maybe two, three particular colors, as everybody just piles on those and says, let's get these to as many cities as we can. And you know, as those get connected to a lot of cities, those colors are start to be worth more and more points so people are going to start trading in for stock of those things but that limits the supply so then eventually even though each of these is currently worth the most 
there's nowhere else for it to go because they have no trains left. They they can't lay any more track. Yeah. Basically. So we move on to the next sort of one, and it, it becomes almost this cycle, you know, this supply and demand cycle. And then eventually, say blue was the first one that people rushed, you know, blue will get superseded by brown, and people start trading in blue for brown, which allows blue to extend itself even further. So you kind of move towards this equilibrium, but the game is all about trying to judge the direction that that equilibrium is going to move in. And being best positioned to take advantage of the final, you know, high value ones. Yeah. And just to make clear in case, I don't think that we fully discussed this before, but the stock and the track tokens are the same thing. Right. So that's, that's important to note that whatever you have behind your, your shield, that is the stock, it's literally the same pieces that would get put on the board for tracks in the game. Right. So that's where this whole supply and demand thing becomes the most uh, visible because, you know, the more stock you take, the less tracks there are to lay and so on and so forth. It's also really pretty interesting that there is always usually one pretty much company that has been completely like neglected, maybe right. connected to one city or something like that in, in all the games that we've played so far. Yeah, and that's, you know, in part due to some of the mechanics. The countryside tiles that don't have cities on them can share two different colors of terrain at once, but the cities can't. Cities are unique to a particular thing. So even though, you know, the last route to get picked up could theoretically cross over another route somewhere in the countryside, the fact is that they just don't have a lot of cities to connect to in a short radius. So it's really not worth it to do a whole bunch of legwork, spend half the total trains just to maybe pick up three or four points somewhere on the the outer end. And that is something that you do see pretty, I say consistently as though we've played more than three games of this, but it is something that you do see pretty consistently. Yeah. Yeah. Based on, based on how we played so far, that does seem to be the case. Yeah. Another aspect of the game that's pretty interesting is actually the sabotage aspect. Mm -hmm. So this game makes it pretty easy to sabotage other people and other routes pretty much it's not really people because you're you're not directly influencing others since you're you're not taking their stuff away you're not attacking them you're not not doing anything like that you're just maybe using up trains that they would rather use to get to marseille to go literally nowhere right so you can on your turn you know instead of increasing the value of your own train route or like one that you want to increase or anything like that you can just be like, I don't want that one to get any larger because I don't have any stock in that. And I know that these other people do because of the way that they're playing. So I'm going to take and all five trains that, that I have available, I'm going to put them and I'm going to make sure that they're at least two away from each city. So it's not an easy connection or anything like that. And it also wastes trains in a completely different direction. Right. Yeah. And this is something that comes up in almost every game, especially with, as you mentioned, the Paris to Marseille route. More often than not, what you'll have is a situation where someone is trying to blitz one color to Marseille. They've picked up an early advantage in terms of the amount of stock for that color that they have, and they're just trying to power through and end the game as soon as possible while they still have a comparative advantage. And so because you can take five trains and put them on the board at a single time and a single turn. That does set you up for these sorts of huge swing turns where, I mean, obviously if someone's beelining for Marseille, everyone else is going to notice that. You know, it's not like you can make these, these sorts of decisions in secret. So all it really takes is one person 
to say, hey, I see that that's happening. I'm going to take these five trains, put them off in a completely unhelpful direction and prevent you from doing that. And that, you know, one denies four points to the route that would have otherwise gotten to Marseille, which is huge. And two, it just prolongs the game, which means that now the person who chose to prolong the game is better positioned to sort of get their stock in order and say, okay, well, I've successfully negated this one. Now I'm going to bump, you know, black. I'm going to put black into a whole bunch of cities. That's not going to end the game early, but it's just going to rack up a whole bunch of points. I'm going to gather myself a bunch of stock of that and overtake this other big route. Yeah. And and with the stock itself is also pretty interesting because you have to get your mind around the fact that, you know, that one stock, say, that you have of, of, let's say, the second best railroad company is worth technically less than two stocks of the third best. Right. Something like that. And that's something that I know that I actually found myself struggling with a few times because it's like, I know that this, this one color stock is really good, but I don't have as many stocks here as, say, Greg. And therefore, even if my stocks are technically better, but he has more of, you know, let's say I have one extra of the blue stock, which is worth more than than the brown stock. But then Greg has three more brown stock than I do. I still lose in terms of cost benefit analysis and just like in terms of how many points total I get my worth per stock would be higher. But that's not what this game is about. It's about total net worth. Right. And that's a huge thing. The last game in particular that we played, pound for pound, like points per stock, you and I both had more than the person who ended up winning. Yeah. He just had two more total stock than we did, which meant he had a higher total score. So the fact that one becomes two is something that you really have to leverage in order to have a successful strategy. Especially in the early game. Yeah. Early to mid game, because by the time late game comes around and you're like, oh my, I don't have enough stock. It's too late because there is no more stock left to take. Right. You can only manage one for one trades because that's all that's left on the board. There's all that's left on the board or the only color that's left is that one, you know, dangly one that's even that's not worth like that one, that, that one for two trade. Also that. So it's a very interesting thing that you have to keep your eye on and, and actually wrap your mind around because it can be very, very difficult to just balance that and, and give up that like one stock that you're like, but if I do this, then like, you know, someone else will take it or something like that. It's like, in the end, it's worth it for you to do that. You just have to look at the long game and the actual math of it. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough hurdle to get over, but it's very, very important. Yeah. One other interesting tidbit that I heard pretty recently about this game is this is the second like almost edition of this game. Uh, They actually had another one of this come out before. Different publisher, I believe. But the interesting part about this is that it was sponsored by one of the French railway companies. Really? It used to to be called SNCF and it was sponsored by that company. Huh. So it's one of the few board games that that are actually sponsored by like, you know, an outside company of some sort. Interesting. So one of the, the large railway companies in France sponsored a board game about uh, themselves i guess they just figured it was like a marketing investment possibly and i mean like it's that kind of thing it's probably it wasn't a very large cost or anything like that sure. and it was just something else that had their their names on them huh. and but hey it's a good game right and yeah so 
Yeah, it's a good one, but it's interesting how it used to be called that. Now it's called Paris Connection. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, sure some. If, yeah, if the sponsorship ran out or something, but I know that it definitely used to be sponsored by an actual railway, railway company. Interesting. Well, that is a really fascinating tidbit. Yeah, there we go. So that all being said, no game is perfect. This is true. And the the first time we played it, I think we mentioned this at least a couple podcasts ago. We played it wrong the first time we played this uh, because we had misread the rules. We oh, thought... I had misread the rules. Okay, all right, yeah, no. Good I, for I, you owning up to that. I will take the blame. <laughs> right, yeah, so Jacob read the rules wrong and conveyed the rules incorrectly to all the rest of us. And we thought you could only take one train at a time, which, I mean, didn't really fundamentally change the game. It's still trading stock for stock, moving trains onto the board and kind of managing those resources. But it does change the scale of what you can do pretty dramatically. And I think we were talking about it, we both agree, that we almost like it better when you can't have those huge swing turns. One is probably too few, especially since compared to the amount of stock that you would be getting, that's lower. But we do think that maybe if they scaled it back, you can put three trains on the board at a time. That would probably be a good balance change, um, and it would mean that you'd have to have more of a coordinated effort in order to stop someone from completing a single route, which would mean that you'd have to think more about how to integrate that route into your own stock um, and just kind of generally change the, the strategy, we think, for the better. Yeah, because it, it, in our game, especially when we when we played, started playing with the correct rules, I was a sabotage machine. I <laughs> sabotaged at least like two or three routes you myself. You really, really were. Without any, and it was unilateral. It wasn't like anyone else was helping me. It was just me taking my turn and doing my full five trains and placing them on the board in random directions. Yeah. Whereas when I played with just the one train at a time rule, that made it so that literally like three or four people around the board had to collaborate in order to sabotage that uh, a route that that was being made mm -hmm. and it actually added a really cool tension to the game and in the end it was it was very interesting and i think helped the game rather than than hurt it plus yeah. it also gives a little bit more time in the game so this is a very fast game it plays in 30 minutes itself with like less trains being placed that gives you a little bit more time, a few more turns, and makes it a little bit easier for you to collect those that full amount of stock. Yeah. Which, I mean, could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, depending on how you're focusing, but I think that that would be an improvement. Yeah, I would agree. But that's really the big, you know, sort of content design change that we think could be better about this game. We do have a few sort of nitpicky things about the design. The scoring track for each of the trains could definitely be bigger. You know, it gets very crowded on there. The sideboards on yep. which you keep the individual wooden train tokens, it's hard to make out the colors, so it's hard to match. And it doesn't particularly matter, you know, as long as all the trains of one color are on a board, you know, that's fine. But, you know, just from a sort of a... Graphic design standpoint. Right. Yeah, it would be nice if they were brighter and more easily matched. Yeah. Um, which then goes along with our final nitpick. Yeah, and this is one that we bring up on the podcast pretty often. This game f relies on color so much, yet at the same time, there is like no difference between the shape of any of the trains or anything like that. So you have six different colors. You have red, yellow, blue, purple, brown, and black. 
And so you don't have the red-green colorblindness problem there, but at the same time, some of those trains can be difficult to you know tell apart, especially if you do have any kind of problems with that. And it would be nice to have at least something else in there. Or I, I don't know exactly how they would do it because it's a bit difficult with... Uh, yeah, they're pretty small pieces. Yeah, it was, it's a tough small fix. pieces and you can't really put texture on them or anything like that because then people are going to go into the bag and when they're grabbing random pieces, they'll know what they're grabbing and that kind of stuff. So a bit of a difficult fix, but just a comment that, uh, that I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Those nitpicks aside, final review, what do we think? Jacob? I'm going to say I buy it because this is a lot of fun, a very quick game. It has simple mechanics and in general, I've really enjoyed playing it. And I think that this is an amazing introductory game, especially to some of the more interesting concepts of, you know, the, the benefit of you know getting the, the, the low, two lower level trains versus one higher level train and that kind of stuff. More strategic thinking, yet at the same time, you can play this in 30 minutes and then go again or something like that. So, Absolutely. Agree on all points. I think it is just a very, very quick game. It's easy to get through and it's not so redundant or repetitive that it gets boring. You know, you could probably play two or three rounds back to back. It does encourage a lot of strategic thought in ways that you don't necessarily get from other games. It's a lot of sort of weighing advantages and disadvantages of a particular situation and also forecasting which is is huge, you know, thinking about which train is going to go where. So it's got lots of opportunities for strategic depth, all contained within a very simple, straightforward, easy-to-learn package. So definitely buy it from me, and that's that's what we think. Yeah, so now let's talk about some games that are similar, that we can compare to uh, Paris Connection. The first one, which probably everyone is already thinking about, is Ticket to Ride. Surprise! So, train game, train game, the theme, first of all, matches, makes sense. But there are other considerations here in that you still have to build routes, you don't have the cards that tell you where to go from, but it's pretty apparent, like, you know, you have to go in certain directions. It's actually nicer in that uh, Paris Connection gives you a little bit more freedom, but uh, Ticket to Ride gives you a little bit more structure. And though you don't have your own route in Paris Connection, in Ticket to Ride you do, but you still have to take into account how many trains other people have because that's what ends the game. So you still have a lot of the similar things to look at and the similar theme plus like all the routes connecting different things and all that. It definitely does have a lot of similarities between the Paris Connection and Ticket to Ride. I do think that if you like one, you'll probably like the other. Right. Similar vein, trains, literally just the game trains. Again, similar theme. This time it actually flanges up a lot better with Paris Connection in terms of exactly how trains are placed. Um, you know, it's simply markers onto a hex grid, and it's much more of that freeform, self-driven route building that you're doing in order to connect the cities. So it's got that element of similarity with, with Paris Connection. So if that's something that you like, if you like the ability to sort of go any direction that you want and take full advantage of that and try to optimize those routes as opposed to using routes that have already been built like in Ticket to Ride, Trains is maybe a better way to go while still staying within the theme. Yep. And for one that goes outside of the theme, I'm going to recommend a little bit of a blind recommendation because I haven't played this game, but I've heard really good recommendations of it. Stockpile. So this is a game in which... 
you're pretty much playing stock market investors and each of you has some information that other people don't and you're investing based on that. So that is a similar kind of thing where you have the stock in the trains uh, behind your screen in Paris Connection and you're still like trying to you know, beat out the other investors and that kind of stuff, get the stock of the right one that's going to go up and not the one and get rid of the one that's going down and that kind of stuff. And there's still like some of that hidden information in which you don't know who has the other kind of stock and that kind of stuff. So it has a similar kind of feel almost in a very different theme. And it's still a pretty easy beginner game as well. So if you have someone who hates trains who wants to play this kind of similar game, Stockpile would be a good one to pick up. Definitely. But yes, if you like Paris Connection, give those a shot or vice versa. Thank you for joining us for our review of Paris Connection. We hope you enjoyed. WashingCon tickets are on sale now, so be sure to head over to WashingCon.com and pick those up. They've got lots of great options, Sunday-only tickets this year. Um, Plus, it's going to be amazing. I highly encourage you not to get the Sunday-only tickets and come see us your favorite podcasters, on both Saturday and Sunday. We will be sponsoring it again. Uh, There's going to be lots of panels, lots of board games, obviously, to play, and it should be a whole lot of fun. So head on over, get your tickets. We'll see you there. Finally, join us next week when we will be reviewing The Castles of Mad King Ludwig.